Hello, and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. Today, we're going to talk about something that I absolutely love, shamanism. And some of you might be wondering, well, what does that have to do with being an empath? What it does have to do with an empath is it's one of the most ancient healing modalities dating back 30,000 years. And so many of the things that we look for as far as Reiki, healing, mediumship, you can find a way that it all ties back to those original indigenous lessons and tribes. And we're not in any way, shape or form appropriating, calling ourselves shamans. We're talking about it as a practice and as a healing modality. One of the things that is really cool about this, because you've listened to us talk for so many years and you know how much Samantha and I both love nature and the natural world. And we ask for signs of, of birds or animals. And when they do show up in our lives, we pay more attention to them. And shamanism is a healing tradition and a sacred path that can be a way to connect with nature and, and all aspects of creation. So it's altered consciousness. It's making that connection. It's paying more attention. What concerns me is that it's becoming, okay, concerns and is a good thing. It's becoming more mainstream and more accepted. But with that, as I was reading things to get ready for this show, I felt a little concerned that there are things that I see as very sacred practices to be honored that are being watered down or called something that they're not. So uh, don't you agree, Samantha, that sometimes when we are talking about things that have such a strong ancient culture lineage connection, that it loses the reverence if we're not careful? Yes, I completely do. And I, I haven't worked with a shaman or done a whole lot with shamanism. So I might just interview you through this time together. (laughs) We'll just chat. We'll do great. (laughs) From what I've I've read, it is not a religion and it does cross cultures. Is that true? Right. But some people do practice it in a religious respect. So I think it would depend on who you'd ask. I, I personally don't see it as a religious thing. And again, I'm going to say this throughout the entire time we're on here. I am not a shaman. I have had some training in shamanic practices. And I think that's really a lot of people are throwing that label around. And I think that is so damn disrespectful. Yeah, I do too. So what is being watered down in your opinion? Um, Okay. So I'm going to back up for a second before I answer that is the, the, the whole aspect. And we both get this as mediums is altering the consciousness to connect with the spirit world, to get more information, to work with healing energies, to bring through messages, and to guide others to a deeper understanding of their truest self. So it's similar. It's so similar to mediumship. And and what triggered my thought with this, you know, just diving more into this is, A, I do love this work, but also as a medium. And when I went and did some training, the trance workshop with Tony Stockwell, he brought it up of how much mediumship, the the future of mediumship is really going to blend with shamanism. And I got very excited about that because two of the things I love most in the world. But it's true. If you look at the basis of mediumship, it really is 
ties back to those original shamanic beginnings. So, right. because it, which is cool. Yeah, it really is. All right. So shamanism, here are some definitions I've read about what it is. And you tell me what you think. Uh, one is from John Matthews and the Celtic shaman. He says, it is not an organized religion, but rather a spiritual practice. Shamanism cuts across all faiths and creeds, reaching deep levels of ancestral memory. As a primal belief system which precedes established religion, it has its own symbolism and cosmology inhabited by beings, gods, and totems who display similar characteristics, although they appear in various forms depending on their places of origin. Would you agree with that definition? Yes. Okay. Now, Stanley Krippner says shamans are community-assigned magico-religious professionals who deliberately alter their consciousness in order to obtain information from the spirit world. They use this knowledge and power to help and heal members of their community as well as the community as a whole. I agree about the raising, you know, going into a different, um, how did you word it? Altered, they deliberately alter their consciousness. Yes, yes, I do agree with that. And I do think it's very, very, very service-based work. Uh, incredibly so it would be helping the community it would be helping with healing i'm not sure about the beginning part the magico religious yeah but i think that that goes with that may be with a specific part of the world or culture okay so here's what i want to ask you about i i read this on a website called taking charge it says the shaman may serve by removing energies that are inappropriately present or by returning energies that have been lost. This includes soul recovery to accomplish healing via the return of lost parts of the soul. Can you explain what that means? Uh, Soul retrieval, where you go into an altered state and you may find parts of someone. So I've had this, I've gone through this experience. I've also learned how to do this. And what you do is you go into an altered state through journeying, which is with a drum, a rattle. It sounds so bizarre trying to explain it, but anyone who has had this experience is probably nodding their head and saying, okay, Denise, you're still in the normal range. We're okay. But you will go back. So one of the things that I went back and did a spontaneous soul retrieval was I found myself as a young child when something very traumatic had happened. So it, what the, the premise is, is that we'll leave parts of ourselves, like a, a piece of our soul will break off, we'll, we'll remove, we'll be held in a different, like a different realm if we've had severe trauma. And we can go back and get those pieces and bring them back for healing. And those can be physical and emotional trauma, correct? Yes. Okay. Where are those parts of ourselves? Well, I personally, I went to the, the, when you journey, you can go to the lower world, the middle world, the upper world. And a lot of the soul retrieval work from what I've personally experienced has been in the middle world. Uh, I think that it depends on how you've been trained or what you've been taught or what your inclination is. So again, I'm going to put in the caveat of do what feels right for you and what you've been taught, but it doesn't make it the only way to do something. I think that's really, really important uh, because you, you're you working with 
Let's see, this is the, the correlation. So a lot of this stuff, you're working with power animals, spirit guides, plant energies, ancestors, elements of nature. And when you travel through these upper, middle, and lower worlds, from what I understand and have been taught, the upper world is where the creator, the spirit guides, the ancestors are. The middle world is, is similar to the earth plane, and it's all the realm for soul retrievals, uh, other situations. And, and really, I have to put this in this very seriously. This isn't a party favor. This isn't something to mess around with. You know how we always say, be careful when you are opening doors, you're not sure what you're opening. Like when right. it, To me, this work is incredibly important to not just randomly say, oh, I'm going to go do a soul retrieval. But no, no, because you're going into to different energies and realms that you need to have the training or be prepared for that because it's a very different experience than just I've got your grandmother and she was five foot two. Uh, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean it from, from concern that someone might end up in a situation that they're in over their head. Uh, and the lower world is where you'll find power animals, spirit helpers and animal form. And you go into, and this is, I think why I love it with the comparison to the trans mediumship is because a journey is like going into a, a light trance. It's a hypnotic state almost that you're self-induced through. Uh, you can do it through a guided meditation. You can do it with a drumbeat. You can do it with a rattle, but you reach perception of these worlds. And what's really cool is when you learn how to go there, you go back to the same place. So if you're going to the lower world, every time you go, you're going to the same place. You're not all of a sudden, oh, this lower world is different than that other lower world I went to. Wow. All right. So what do those worlds look like? I think that's unique to the person. Okay. I, I really do. But there are, what's interesting is there seem to be similarities and correlations when you talk to other people. So if you do a, a group guided meditation or journey to the lower world, people will all have their own, similar to like regressions, you're all going to have your own unique experience but there'll be similarities in what you see or it, it's, it's hard to explain because it's unique to the individual, but you're also tapping into that collective. Okay. Like when I got my Reiki two attunement afterwards, the teacher asked us to talk about what we saw during the attunement. And I saw all these people sitting inside like a pyramid, but it was more like a triangle in my image. And they were motioning me to come inside and join them. And it was really just out of nowhere. And it was so vivid. And everyone else in the class saw either a triangle or a pyramid, but it was different for each of us. So is that what you mean, where it'll yes. have the same symbolism, but unique to you? Yes. Yes, exactly. And some of the things, so when I first started learning about this, my logical brain was saying, hmm, this can't be, I'm making this up. This is so similar to so many of the other things that we do. Another example of how similar this is to mediumship is psychopomp work, which is when you help trap souls cross over, people who are stuck in limbo, people who are stuck. We call them earthbounds. We call them this. There's a process you can do shamanically that will help people cross. You go into this trance-like state with your spirit helpers, with your power animal to, to do that work. So it's the same outcome as helping people cross into the light, but
but just a different delivery model. Right. Many, many paths to get there. And that's just one of the paths. Yes. Okay. Is ayahuasca con- connected to this? Oh or- my goodness. Yes. And see, this is, this is an interesting thing. This goes back to what I said about things being watered down and made mainstream. Ayahuasca is sacred plant medicine. The use of ayahuasca, psilocybin, psychedelics, chemicals to reach that altered state, unless you're prepared, my own personal opinion, it's too much too fast. And I also think you have to, again, my own personal opinion, you have to be with people who have been trained in what this will do. Because I see a lot of people, oh, we're going to this loft in New York and we're going to do ayahuasca and there's a traveling shaman coming through that's going to do this. That worries me a little bit that people may end up in situations where there isn't someone that knows what's actually going on. And I know it's become kind of a popular thing to travel and do this. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but my concern and from a personal and a professional viewpoint is as empaths, we are highly, highly attuned. A lot of us have a hard time even taking medication of any kind. So if you're going to add something in that is going to instantly put you into a different realm, a different perspective, perception, a different perspective of what's real and what's not real, Personally, I think it's important to have trained people around that you trust and that you feel safe with. Yeah, I agree. I think that's really good advice. You've got to do your research if you're putting anything into your body and you've got to do your research when you're choosing a mentor or a teacher as well. Right. And you've got to follow your intuition. Yes, I agree. The beautiful part of this is if you you can do the, the, the research, the reading, the history, the lore, and there's similarities between all of the indigenous people. So, you know, with, with everything right now in the world of appropriation, and I feel the need to tread cautiously with that because I'm not from an indigenous tribe. I don't come from a lineage of shamans. I've had, I've had some shamanic training. And I think that it's not being disrespectful. Part of me thinks because this is so ancient, and it's a healing modality. And what I love is that it it not only heals the individual, the community, and the collective, it helps to heal the earth. This is, is There's such a connection between the elements and as above, so below, would originate with this shamanic work. Right. Exactly. So if someone is interested in learning more about this, where would they start? There are a plethora of, of places. And I have to jump back a minute. When I read something, and you know how you read the 11 ways to know you're a shaman, 11 ways to know right. you're an empath. And I read this one little article, and it was all that generic stuff that will fit for anything. Do you have vivid dreams? You're a shaman. Do you, are you really sensitive to other people's energy? You're a shaman. No, no, no. That's like saying, oh, I had a hunch and I won on the lottery ticket. I'm a medium. I know it. I'm a medium. I think that extreme concerns me a little bit. But yeah. uh, be, be, because I think I want to go back a minute to, to what so many of the things that 
are bringing us into these other realms are things we do with other modalities. So uh, using a drum or a rattle or a guided meditation, we do that with other ways to reach that center core of peace and understanding and knowing. It's just a different avenue to get there. And want to know a really cool thing? Yeah. Is I, I had read this stuff on, they had said the drum beat, a shaman's drum beat, is the same frequency as that fire flickers at. Like fire, when it flickers and you watch it. And I thought, oh, that's just crazy train. That can't be right. So when I was camping, I put on a headset and I listened to a, a, shaman, a shamanic drum beat and I watched the flames and the fire. Holy shit, it was an exact synchronistic sequence of, of the what I was hearing with how the flames were going. And, and there was no ayahuasca or psilocybin or any other mind-altering drug involved. Um, and I thought that was really cool. But the, the way it was described with this, this course I had taken, the woman said, if you think about it, the original peoples, the original nomadic tribes, they would have a shaman in their group who would go into dream time, who would know the next place to go. Where do we go next to find water to, for the next hunt? for our next prosperity and they would stare into the fire and they would go into that dreamlike state. And there was no, there was nothing to block that clarity. So it's a similar experience of we're going back to what is coded in our, I, I would think in our DNA. Right. Right. Or at least our cellular memories. Yes. Yes, and that connection with uh, with nature, with you know, honoring um, the, the different elements, you know, water, earth, air, fire, of going in in the bringing in the four directions. There's a lot of ritual and routine that is again similar across cultures and different places in the world but also similar to things we do with, I just feel like it's a stepping stone for a lot of the other practices we follow. Yeah, I agree. And I also feel like, so, I don't know if it's science or just the culture we're in now, but we have denigrated or misaligned that word imagination so terribly where we think if something is in our mind, it's made up it's fantasy. It's in our imagination. Whereas if you look at the root words of imagination, it doesn't mean made up at all. And so I know for me, when I started doing meditations and seeing things in my meditations, I worried for a long time, is that my imagination? And it wasn't until I actually started doing practice readings that I was able to confirm you know, sitting across from strangers that there's no way that was my imagination because there they are validating it. And yet when you talk about going into these other dimensions, I can imagine people would think, oh, I'm making that up. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And so how does someone get past that if they're going to try a shamanic drumming meditation? I think, uh, being open-minded as with any of these modalities, but so many of the things that you, once you can learn to journey, you can open up to all these other worlds and you can 
truly, there's no end to it. Like with all of this work, it, it just will grow and evolve and continue to be more and more. But what I love is for me personally, it's almost a blend of the shamanic work, the mediumship and psychology. It all braids together. And it it's a, a connection to not only my own inner knowing and truth, but helping other people find that within themselves. I think that's the real key because when you, you can, once you learn the basics of how to do this work, you can go to the Akashic records. You can do a past life regression. You can go to the ancestral realm. You can go to the elemental realm. You can, you know, go up to that level with your guides and, and, and angels. So it's, there's a fluidity with what you're able to experience. And what I've been, and you, I think you've mentioned this as well. It used to be very delineated. Okay, I'm going to go talk to people in spirit. Now I'm going to go and connect with guides. Now it's almost like there's, it's not as, it's, there's more flow between these different realms and levels. And when you're doing this type of work, as you gain confidence and you gain more trust in it, you're able to go between these different experiences. And it's similar to, I'm going to use the regression as an example. People will come into it not knowing what to expect. And then at the end of it, they'll say, wow, that was just so real, even though it didn't seem like it should have been, which goes back to what you said about imagination. Right, exactly. Okay, so this soul retrieval thing fascinates me. You often hear like if people have a car accident, they'll say it was like I was watching it or Mm -hmm. time slowed down. Uh, My mom tells a story when she was a little girl, she fell off a tree. She was climbing a tree and she fell and dislocated her shoulder. And when she was laying in bed waiting for the doctor to come, she kept leaving her body. Uh And she said it happened three times. She, she was hovering above her body and then she'd see herself lying in the bed and it would freak her out. She'd slam back in to me. That's an out of body experience, but listening to you, I'm thinking, I wonder if there's a part of her soul that's still uh, hiding out somewhere, protecting her consciousness from the pain of that dislocated shoulder. Yes. And, and that would be one of the ways people would look at doing a soul retrieval or if there was abandonment or if uh, when I did a training in this years and years ago, and I think it was because of my background working with kids, that was the experience that I had was I, you know, you're in this altered consciousness and I found this little person sitting and I said, why, aren't, why didn't you leave? Why didn't you go into the light? It was helping people cross. So it was more of a, a psychopomp than a, a soul retrieval, but it, it blends together here. And, and what I got for an answer was they told me to wait until they came back. And I think for, as a little kid, that makes perfect sense. And we did the whole experience and helped the, the little person cross over. But I think with the soul retrieval, if there's trauma, if there's extreme grief, if there's shock to the system, a part of you will want to go into safety mode and you can go back and get it. And how do you, how do you do that? Like, how do you, I mean, I'm not so, asking you to like, tell us. No, you know. no, but two, two really good resources are uh, that I trust would be if you want more information and just want to read and see, is this something that I want to find a 
a trusted person to do this with would be Soul Retrieval, Mending the Fragmented Self by Sandra Ingerman. And also Alberto Valaldo has a book, Mending the Past and Healing the Future with Soul Retrieval. These are both two really good references there. And, and it's, there's similarities, but then also um, unique experiences in both the books to give you altering perspectives of what this work is really like. But it still brings you to the same place, which is, again, healing. This is all about healing those fragmented parts of ourselves so that we can uh, have the, the strength and the connectedness to move forward. Okay, so talk to us about ancestor work. How how does that look? And and what would you say to someone who's like, I don't really feel connected to my ancestral family. I don't even know what that would look like. Well, going to the ancestral realm is, it's, it's almost, um, as and so I always default to being a medium with this. I think uh, when we're able to connect with our loved ones in spirit, and then there are people that we don't recognize. And it's like, well, well, who is that? Oh, that's your great-great-grandmother, or that's your, your uh, uncle that married into the family, or you know, we might not be able to identify. When you go to the ancestral realm, you're able to feel that lineage and connect with the healing that needs to happen. So it, to me, it, it's almost uh, a gateway to finding what epigenetic cues we're holding that can be healed because when, and I, we've both said this, I say this a lot, when we do the level of depth and healing that we're trying to do that might be setting boundaries or reestablishing family patterns or breaking cyclical patterns in our family of origin, we're sending healing back through our ancestral lines as well as forward. So when you're able to go to that realm or journey to that realm and make that connection, you may find something that you need to bring back to heal the here and now, or it may be that you're bringing healing back to them. Because that it's is all, so important. It's incredibly important. Yeah. Because before I interrupted you, you were going to say, because it's all happening now. Time is, <laughs> time is all right now. And I think that is really, really important. Now connection to nature and animals. Isn't that a big part of this work as well? I, I think it's everything. And if you think back to when, if we're going back 30,000 years that this has been a practice and it's been with every, every, you can trace this back to every tribe, every indigenous culture, which I just love, love, love. There was no, there was nothing but nature. So they would pay more attention. And haven't you found when you're in the woods or away from people or on your own, like I was um, off the grid a while back and there was no cell reception, there was no internet, there was nothing. And it's a little unsettling. And then once you adjust to it, you become more cognizant and more attuned to what's going on around you. You, you hear the leaves, you, you feel the energy, you see the animals. You, I was walking across a field last night with the dog and I like my peripheral vision I caught something out of the corner of my eye and there was a deer stand there were a couple deer standing right on the edge of this big field I was walking across and I just stopped and I felt so humbled that I was lucky enough to see them 
And that's mm. that connection because if you were going to look at this from a shamanic perspective, the deer came as a messenger for me. They that was all uh yes, that they're, they're we're all part of the thread. We're all part of the natural world. And when you step into this work, you become more attuned to how interconnected we all are. And I think it's important to to really pay attention to that. I mean, just this week we had a gray heron land in our yard and one of my daughters saw it first and said, Mm -hmm. guys, come look. And my older daughter said, is that for all of us? And I said, possibly, but I think it goes to the first person who saw it. Right. Right. And so we looked up gray heron and I told my youngest daughter what that meant. And then just this morning, a green grasshopper, somehow got into our house and my oldest daughter saw it and she said, so is that for me? And I said, yeah. And I said, it's a really good message because grasshoppers can't go backwards or left or right. They can only go forward. Oh, And so it's a reminder for you to take risks with faith and trust and hope and know that some good luck is coming to you as well. Now, you know how old people kind of get a couple of stories and they tell them again and again, Yes, I worry that I'm starting to do that. <laughs> I know, sometimes I am too. When when my oldest was a, a baby and I would have to go to work, often my mother-in-law would, would watch her. And I was bringing her to my mother-in-law's house and holding her little hand. And it was fall and the leaves were doing that little circle dance they do. Mm-hmm. And I said, Olivia, look, the leaves are dancing for you. My mother-in-law told that story like 50 times a year. If anyone ever asked about, oh, is your daughter-in-law psychic? I hear that she's doing readings. She would say, Samantha sees the world in a magical way. Oh. And she would say, whenever she sees leaves, she sees them as dancing. I see them as I got to get the leaf blower out. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought of that the other day because we were, my kids and I were sitting on the couch and we were watching a show. We've got this big window that overlooks the backyard and our fence. And there's this tree that grows behind the fence. And one of the branches points down to the ground and the other branch points up. And so it looks like a person waving to you whenever the wind comes through. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's it, looks, fun. it looks like part of him is like hanging over the fence and the other arm is like waving. Yes. So of course I mentioned that to my kids. And of course, being teenagers who have mastered the eye roll, <laughs> they're like, whatever, mom. But every time I look out that window, I swear that tree is waving to us. Like, hey, how you doing? Oh, oh, well, they're all alive. Everything they're has all- vibration and frequency. Yes. I agree. So I was just rereading Ted Andrews has a really good book on meeting. I think it's called Meeting and Working with Your Spirit Guides. And he has a whole chapter on there on how nature and trees in particular talk to us. And he has a story about a tree waving to him. And I was like, oh, look at that. I'm not alone in my weirdness. Oh, they'll, they'll, and this is people, I'm sure we'll have people listening that will do the eye roll for us. If you pay attention, you'll, you'll be able to pick up on the messages. You'll be able to feel the energy of each individual. And even to the point of, Well, how different is that than when you can pick up a crystal and feel the frequency of it? 
And each exactly. one, we could put three pieces of obsidian in front of you and you're going to hold them and each one is going to have a different frequency and one of them is going to really resonate with you. Exactly. I mean, okay, so now is not the time to go into my whole birthday story. We'll have to do that on another show though, Denise, because Denise got me the most amazing gifts for my birthday last month. And there was just a lot of magical and synchronicity in it. One of them is a black obsidian scrying mirror. And I was saging it and clearing it. And my youngest daughter said, you know, what do you do with that? And I said, well, it's, it's a form of meditation and you clear your mind. And like John D used one of these. It's so cool. And she was like, what do you mean? You stare into it and you see stuff. So I'm still saging that, you know, black obsidian scrying mirror. So I said, yeah, you can do it with any crystal. And I, my, my clear cathedral quartz, my, I call it my working stone. I said, like, take this one. You could even scry with this. I said, look and look in this one and see what you see. And so she's looking and, and she sees different things. And she's like, do you see that there? And I said, no, like what you see is, is for you. And mm -hmm. so I'm holding the stone and I look and in one corner, you can see this man and he looks like an Asian man. He's got one of those like upside down mustaches mm -hmm. and this happy little face. And I said, like, right here, I see a picture of like a man looking out. I thought she was going to drop my precious stone because she saw it too. Oh, and, and she's describing exactly what I'm seeing. And I was like, oh my gosh, that shows you that there are guardians of every crystal. Mm -hmm. So in all of nature's kingdoms, as they call it, there are, you can call them divas, you can call them spirit guides, you can call them guardians, but all of that does exist. And yet these are aspects of shamanism, but I wouldn't call myself a shaman at all. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense because you're talking about going into the elemental realms where with the, the gnomes, the fairies, the giants, this, all of the things that we've read, storybooks and lore, there, you can go there. You can experience that. And it's, again, being open-minded because that's, this is kind of a joke with a friend of mine and, and we'll be talking and I'll say, oh, it's the fae. You know, when people talk about fairies <laughs> and they do that, that, that voice that goes with it and then we'll laugh, but it's, it's being open-minded to realizing there's so much more than what we can perceive with our physical eyes. Okay. I have this photo that I pull out quite often when people visit my home and I'm sure they, they do think I'm a little off, but they see it too. So it's a photo of my mother-in-law's family from, I think it's 1911 or 12. And it's, it's before her mother left Ireland for America. So they all gathered and it's the cutest photo, Denise. They're all in front of this thatched roof cottage and they're in Aww. their Sunday best. And mm -hmm. so I had it blown up to an eight by 10. And the first time I get it back from the, the camera place, I'm looking at it like, oh, look, that's your great grandmother. And that's your great grandpa. In so they're standing in front of this thatched roof cottage and it's, it's like a magical cottage. It's got all bushes and ivy. You can see a little fairy like person knelt down in the bushes with mm -hmm. the family. And I thought, all right, I'm going to show this to my family and they're going to think I'm crazy. Everyone can see it. 
And I have, I, I told you, one of my good friends is an evangelical. I have friends who are of every faith, very, very different faiths from mine. They all have seen it too. And I've wanted so much to post it on like our Facebook, our Instagram page, but I'm an empath and I'm afraid of all the troll responses I'll get. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, there, I just think there's, um, when you said Faye, people often ask me, is that really your last name? Mm -hmm. And I say, yeah, it really is. But I do think there's a fairy that like follows that family around. I don't know. Oh no, but but why wouldn't haven't you ever been walking in the woods and all of a sudden there's nothing there, but you can feel like you can feel that there's something more there. You can learn to communicate with those other realms. And that sounds like I need medication, I'm sure, to some people listening. But once you have the experience, and I love that you have that picture. What a beautiful gift. And yeah. I wasn't being I wasn't being um judgy pie about people that do say you know, the fae. I, I, it's just, there's a voice tone sometimes that goes with it that I, I kind of get a kick out of. Oh no, totally. There's, there's so much speculation and question and skepticism around all of this. And, you know, I just let them, let them be. And I'm, and I'm just trying to embrace more and more of, of what works for me and let everyone be okay with what works for them. Yes. And, and, you know, with the, like the fairy realm or the, the, there, we're here to work together. It's helping. It's, you know, have a beautiful garden, give, have a space for them and they'll show up more. So I'm, I'm, I think that being open to there being so much more than what we can perceive in our rational mind is the key to all of this work. Well, you know, I had all these huge trees. They, I called them my little soldiers because we planted them 15 years ago and they were beautiful. And in a hurricane we had three years ago, they all came down and crashed onto my house. So I had to get a new roof too. So it was just such a process and it was so emotional losing those trees. And I replaced them all and half of them died within like six months. And I was like, what did I do wrong? I got the right soil. I, you know, I did all the stuff you're supposed to do. So I got new trees to replace the ones that had died and as I was planting them, I asked the fairies to watch over these trees. And do you know that they have grown further and higher than the original trees that hadn't died that I planted six months before? Wow. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. When you do ask for that nature realm to help you, they they really do. Mm-hmm. Now, psilocybin microdosing is becoming something that is a huge, huge new, with, with licensed counselors are being taught how to microdose with psilocybin as a counseling technique. Is that trauma legal? And grief. It, it's becoming, yes. I think Colorado oh. is already legal with this. Uh, California, you can get accredited with your practice to do psilocybin, but it's again seen as, but it's a microdose. It's not going to, it's, it's all very regulated. And I think that that's a very unique experience to go into an altered state of consciousness and too much, too fast can really be a lot. But I know that I've, I've have several people that I've talked with and that I know personally that have done ayahuasca who have had exceptional experiences with it. So 
I think in the right setting with trusted people, it's, it's an amazing experience to have. Is psilocybin mushrooms or LSD? Uh, the natural form would be mushrooms. Okay. Because have you read how Cary Grant used LSD to cure his depression? Yes. And that's where the microdosing comes in. They're using it for anxiety, de depression, uh, trauma relief, grief. And it, it's but in very minuscule amounts in regulating that to the person. Wow. Wow. Okay. Did not which, know that. Which makes sense. I mean, as far as, you know, you, how, if you could do that with the right structures in place, in a weird sort of way, doesn't that make more sense than doing a chemical pharmaceutical? I'm not saying don't use medication. I am not saying that. I'm saying for some people, there may be an alternative that could produce the same effect without it needing to be a prescription. Medication. Well, in, the, in that book, I love uh, The Body Keeps Score. He talks about how you have to heal from the top down and the bottom up. Mm -hmm. And so he talks about the, the top down is things like uh, talk therapy and antidepressants. And it was written a while ago, so he doesn't mention psilocybin, but that type of therapy. And then the bottom up is things like exercise and yoga and deep breathing. Mm -hmm. And so I think you have to include all of that. I don't think you can say like only psilocybin or only Prozac will work or only talk right. therapy. It's, it's a combination. And if working with a shaman or, or doing shamanism yourself, I think it's a part of our healing journey. Right. It, it, it is. It's about healing in connection. And if it resonates with you, it's a wonderful journey. Similar to some people, and you can speak on this, uh, Reiki changed your life. Reiki definitely changed my life. It opened up uh, everything for me. And it was just my door. Yes. What, what's that roomy quote, keep knocking until you find the door that opens for you? Oh, I love that. And, and so is, you know, shamanism might have been one of your doors. Yes. And if it, if you, it's worth a little peek. There are so many resources. There are so many. And what's interesting is I knew it was becoming more mainstream when uh, there's, I have them in front of me here, two Oracle decks that Colette Baron-Reed and Alberto Villaldo did together. And one of them is the shaman's dream, which it talks about you know how to go when you're going into that dream state different you you look at the card before you go to sleep and it gives you this little thing the other one is the mystical shaman oracle card deck which talks about a lot of the symbolism a lot of the tools and you'll you'll you use it as an oracle deck but it's kind of combined with the the shamanic um, perspective which is interesting and then i mean there's always as you mentioned ted andrews work with animals speak or, you know, connecting with your guides and angels, the soul retrieval books I mentioned. Who's the big shaman guy that wrote the, the book that kind of introduced this to the mainstream? Is it Michael Herner? Oh, yes. Michael, Michael Herner. Horner. Herner, H-A-R-N-E-R. And his book, The Way of the Shaman. And a lot of his work, if you go to shamanism.org, that's his specific style. But there's a lot of resources there. One Spirit Medicine by uh, Alberto Valaldo. Elliot Cohen has a book, Plant Spirit Medicine, but it all ties in. 
it all comes back to dream work and other realms. And it's so much of what we already do just in a different uh, package. Wow. I think it's, it's a fascinating thing to study. And I think you're right. It's, it's important to do the research and pick your, your mentor as carefully as you can. Is it the type of thing, you know, how back years ago in Tarot, they had this off, I hate this rule or whatever you want to call it, where they (laughs) said, (laughs) I hate most rules, but this one, I really didn't like where they said, you're only meant to read Tarot if a deck finds you. Have you ever heard that? that. Yes, I don't agree with that. I do not agree with that at all. I I always kind of got the same sense whenever I would try to read about shamanism too. Like, uh, was it the Carlos Castaneda books? Uh Uh-huh. Am I saying that right? Yes. yes. Okay. There's like this magical thing to it where your mentor has to find you. Do you feel that's true at all? And, and have you picked up on that subtly in, in the messaging of, of shamanism? But it, I do. I think it will, if it resonates with you and calls to you, it becomes very sacred. This, this, the shamanism stuff is very different for me than all the other things I do. There's a sacredness to it and a respect and a reverence that, I mean, I respect all of the work I do and I feel blessed to, to be you know, a messenger for spirit but this is different. It's, it's more core level for me. And I think similar to your connection with the crystal world, you just knew immediately that was your world. You yeah. felt it, you, you experienced it. You, you have a, a confidence and a connection with, with the crystal world that in some ways doesn't make sense, but you know them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think if it really calls to you as with any modality, Similar to, I was speaking with someone recently, and I have tried my entire life to understand on that same level that I understand this work or the mediumship, astrology. And I can read it and I can practice and I can, but it never hits me in that same place. Me too. And I wish it would. Yeah. So. But it's not our door. Right. We can look at the door, we can admire the door, but it's not going to open for us and that's okay. Okay, I have a question about shamanism for helping earthbounds. We have, years ago, I've told this story on on the podcast before, but years ago, my next door neighbor and I had a situation with a ghost. And it was right when I was just starting to take intuitive development classes And so one of the women who worked at the store where I was taking these classes, I asked her to come over to my neighbor's house in my house and just kind of get a feel like, do we need a paranormal team? Do we need a priest? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And when she did come over, I was, I was teaching. And so she said, she texted me and said, you know, just call me when you get home. I've, I've been through your house and the neighbor's house. So, so I get home and I called her and, and she said, I want you to go to your dining room table and either sit under it or just lean over the table and close your eyes and tell me what you see and call me back. And so when I did that, I saw a, an image of a girl in, in, in a well. Mm-hmm. And so I called her and I told her, and she said, that's exactly what I saw. She said, your next door neighbor is dealing with something very, very different, but you've got this little girl and she's so attracted to you as a mother and your three daughters. They're, playmates for her 
And so I was like, all right, well, this is kind of weird. And, and she said, she's very nice and da, 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 da. So, you know, I tried to, after I really studied and learned with several teachers, I tried to cross her over. She would not go. I called two mediums to the house to help me. We cannot get her to cross. When my middle daughter was eight, nine, and 10, she would see her and would tell me what she looked like. And I had what I had done in all of my meditations was I had said, if you don't cross, that's fine, but you're not welcome in our home. Mm -hmm. You can stay in the neighborhood, but you can't come in my house. You're scaring my kids. And so it was interesting because after I had done that, the only places my daughter saw her was leaning against our garage or sitting in the center of the cul-de-sac. So I feel like she listened, you know? Right. But then all of any issues we had from her stopped as my kids got older. And I thought, well, there's so many young kids in this neighborhood. She's moved on. So last week I'm backing out of my driveway and, you know, I've got two drivers in the house. So backing out of my driveway is quite a task. And so, you know, how you back out and you look behind you and you look in front of you and you turn the wheel and you look behind as I'm doing all that, looking back, do I make going to hit that car? No, I see her in that quick flash mm-hmm. and she's, she's wearing a, a, almost like an Alice in Wonderland, like, like a blue dress with like a white thing over it. And I'm like, Oh no. And I just kind of, <laughs> I kind of put it out of the back of my head and she was just standing in front of our front door, still outside. And um, that, that next day, the next morning, my oldest daughter said to me, and I didn't tell anybody, I'm not going to tell my girls, Hey, I think the ghost mm-hmm. girl's back. My oldest daughter comes to me and she said, mom, I've been up since 4am. And I said, Oh honey, it was something on your mind. And she said, no, I think the ghost girl is back. Oh my goodness. And so I said, all right, well, we'll, I will definitely sage today and we'll talk about this later. And she was like, nope, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. I'm just going to ignore it. I'm like, okay. So I head off to work, completely did not have time to sage at all that day. I didn't get home until after dinner. And um, the next morning, my middle daughter said to me, mom, Chloe and I have not been sleeping well all week. We think the ghost girl's back. So all of us at the same time, (laughs) and the the weird thing is there's this little boy who lives across the street. I'll call him John. My youngest daughter is outside drawing in the driveway and she heard a little girl say, I miss John. When is he coming back? And she walks through our street, up and down the main street. She can't, there's no kids outside. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe there's a little girl who lives two doors down. Maybe she was in the backyard and you didn't see her. And then I go to check my mail and my next door neighbor says, oh, did you? um, She said, can you remind me to take so-and-so's garbage out? They're gone for two weeks. So John's family, we learned, is on vacation, which we didn't know. Isn't that weird? you You can't make that stuff up. I know. That's incredible. So my question to you is, we can't get her to cross. We've all tried. What what would a shaman say to that? My personal opinion and, and what's connected with that is you can't force anyone to leave if they don't want to leave. Right. You can encourage, you can bring in 
you can bring in your team, you can bring in, you know, you can try to find a way that they'll want to cross. I've asked her mom and dad to poke through the light. Mm -hmm. We've, I mean, right. Yeah. So it would be a similar process from what I understand. Okay. And then if they still refuse, what do you do? She's really not bothering anyone, is she? No. Well, I mean, no. But you, but interesting when you set the parameters of you can't be in my house, you can't bother us, you can't do this. But I wonder if when you got a flash of her and acknowledged her, it it opened up that door for her to come back in. That's what I wondered too. So my house still smells because let me tell you people. <laughs> I saged so much the other day. I thought I was going to set off the smoke alarms. (laughs) It's a hot July day. I went into the attic. I went into the garage. I saged our cars. I put the sage in the, I mean, I put it everywhere. Wow. Uh, But we all did sleep really, really great last night. So hopefully, but it just, it just bothers me. It bothers me that she's still here. It bothers me that she won't go. I worry. Is she bored? Well, you know? obviously not. She's finding plenty to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I always wonder too, if those ghosts understand time the way we do. Oh, I don't think so. I don't either. No, there's a, a woman here in town and, uh, well, a couple towns over and, and that's her forte is ghosts. And she can go out to dinner with her sisters and she'll see people from the turn of the century that have been hanging around this old inn for, you know, whatever. And to her, she loves that work. And she, she doesn't try to get them to cross. She said, that's where they want to be. They have a connection. And she said, I'll show them the light, but if they choose not to go into it, that's their choice. Okay. So final thoughts on shamanism. If it intrigues you, do some reading, do some Google, be careful of who you align with. And it's an amazing adventure. It is indeed an amazing adventure. I find personally, when I have tried shamanic guided meditations, I have a deeper connection with my subconscious. Mm -hmm. Is that predominantly true with shamanism or is that just my experience? Well, it's that the uh, repetitive drumbeat or rattle is going to put you into into that theta. It's going to put you into that hypnagogic state, which is going to make you more receptive. I love that. Okay. Yes. Thank you guys for listening. And if you have anything you want to add to or ask us or ask Denise about shamanism, please know you can always email us enlightenedempaths at gmail.com or you can message us on Facebook at Enlightened Empaths. We hope you have a great week. Please remember as always to show up, share your light and do good work. Take care.